Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Preacher Voice podcast. This episode is brought to you by Surviving to Thriving. Hi, my name is Heather, the founder of Surviving to Thriving, a nonprofit located in Atlanta, Georgia, that helps women of domestic violence through long-term sustainability programs. We have lifestyle learning courses, sustainable housing, and women's self-defense. If you'd like to learn more about the fundraisers we have going on now to help these women who are leaving abusive situations, please contact myself across all social media platforms at 2ThrivingATL. Trigger Warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. First of all, we just hit 45,000 downloads, which is amazing. You guys are awesome. Be sure to keep sharing the episodes, uh, leave a review on iTunes, and also uh, leave a review on podchaser.com. That's P-O-D-C-H-A-S-E-R.com. I almost went to a little bit of M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E right there. Don't worry, this is not an ad. I'm not sponsored by them, but I do want to let you guys know about something really amazing that they're doing. Right now, for every single review that is left for the Good Story Podcast or Preacher Boys, both of my shows, uh, or any other podcast that you might listen to that's featured on podchaser.com, they're donating 25 cents per review to Meals on Wheels COVID-19 Response Fund. And right now is a time where there's a lot of uh, older folks at home that aren't able to get out. Uh, They don't have contact with anybody. And this provides a way for them to safely receive a meal and a little bit of interaction during the coronavirus scare. So be sure to go uh, onto Podchaser, uh, look for my shows, uh, The Good Story Podcast, uh, Preacher Boys, and look for any other shows you might listen to. Uh, leave a review. You can even, which is really cool, you can even review by episode. So if you have an episode of my show that you love, leave a five-star review. If you have an episode you hate, leave a review for that too. But as many reviews as you leave, uh, $0.25 cents will be donated to 
the Meals on Wheels COVID-19 Response Fund, and every time I respond to reviews, which I definitely will, uh, they'll donate another 25 cents. So if you leave two reviews, I give two responses. That's a dollar donated toward the fund. So really easy way to get involved and help people in this difficult time. So let's all make a difference together. Stay safe. And then, uh, yeah, I'm sitting down here with Joshua Ross. Uh, Joshua shares about growing up in a pastor's home in the IFB, uh, talks about his time attending Golden State Baptist College, and really just talks about uh, being able to think for himself for the first time and really um, what his issues were within the IFB. So it's a pretty short episode, but it's a really good one. Uh, We talk about some good topics and kind of try to dig into what we think motivates uh, some guys like Jack Cheever and the leadership within the IFB. So hope you guys enjoy the episode. Your dad's a pastor, you're attending a church, probably as involved as anyone could be. What was that first moment where you had an inkling that something was was off or not quite right? Just with like all the rules and everything, you know, like women couldn't wear pants. We weren't allowed to go to the theater or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But there was no legitimate excuse as to why you couldn't do that. They would just say like, because the Bible says, but I've read and studied the Bible there's nothing even in there about that. When you first started having these kind of feelings, did you, did you feel like, I know for me, when I first started questioning that my initial thought because of how I was taught was, Oh, there's something wrong with me or I'm, I'm starting to doubt this or so on. Did you go to like an authority figure or a parent or a church staff member or something and say like, Oh, I'm you know, with all these questions or was it something where you just kind of, you hit that conclusion and you were just done? I kind of just hit that conclusion on a few smaller things. I would ask, why do we do this? And the answer would always be because the Bible says so. And, um, I just never believed it because, I mean, I grew up reading the Bible. I knew for a fact it didn't say any of those things. What was the reaction from like your family when you first started kind of bringing up some of those disagreements. Was it, was it disappointment? Was it, you know, like rage? What was that? What was that reaction? Um, I'd always talk to like my mom or dad about it and they kind of just shut it down. They're kind of like, well, you're living in my house. You follow my rules. So they, I mean, that was basically the answer for everything. It was just, you got to fall in line with what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Our church was so small, like there's really no one else to talk to about it, you know. What are we talking size wise? Um, probably twenty to thirty people on Sunday morning. Uh, okay. So yeah, so it's a small network of people for yeah. sure. When you were going through kind of the thoughts about obviously you're saying, Oh, the Bible didn't say that, did you have religious doubts as well? Like actual doubts about, you know, God or scripture or the reality of what they were teaching in its entirety? Or was it more, I see something that's true and I see a lot of things that you're teaching that don't align with that? I never really doubted if there was a God or anything, but I started seeing that the religion that I was in was there to control people. Because when I went to a different, I went to a Christian school, which was at a different church. And then we'd always go up to like Golden State Baptist College or West Coast. I don't know, right when I became like 13 or 14, everything just felt fake. Did you feel a lot of pressure? You you went to a lot of events and things. Did you feel a lot of pressure to keep pushing on and do the Bible college route? Or did 
you feel like people kind of, once you started doubting, they just kind of backed off of you or what was that? What was that situation like? Oh yeah. There's, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, I actually went to Golden State Baptist College for a year and I quit after that. So for, for context for people who maybe don't know, because I know that mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of listeners who are more on the East coast or, you know, the middle of the U S uh, he described Golden State Baptist College and kind of what that environment was like for you? Yeah. So they're like one of the main IFB colleges in California. They're near San Jose. The main thing there, it's almost like they try to brainwash you Hmm. into believing what they believe. And if you have a different opinion about anything, you know, you're wrong. Right. And then let's say like a well-known person would go there. They would do something they weren't supposed to. They wouldn't get in trouble for it. But if just like your average Joe went to college there and got caught doing something, they'd immediately expel you. And we're talking just minor stuff. Yeah, going to a theater, watching a movie, right? You know, listening to the radio, right? And if you got caught listening to country music, you'd be kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, I've been tempted to kick people out for playing country music, so. Maybe that's not a good judge, but, but um, so was, was Golden State a stricter environment than the one you grew up in, or was it pretty equivalent? Uh, it was pretty equivalent. Okay. There's, I mean, they're the bigger church, so it seemed like we, you know, the uh, my dad and everything kind of followed what they did as well, so it's kind of oh, the same okay. thing. Okay. It's amazing how independent churches copy each other when they're so independent. Oh. They're literally every independent church I've been to. They're all exactly the same. There's yeah. nothing different about them. It's photocopies. <laughs> so you you were done at 13, mentally done with it. So mm-hmm. what what was it that got you to Golden State that first year? Was it just a feeling of, you know, I may as well. This is what my parents want me to do. Was it you trying to figure out? Was it a last chance? What 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 got you enrolled there? Um, I was, I was really, really pressured into it. And at that time, you know, I just turned 18, just graduated high school. I'd gone to Christian school my entire life. I literally had no idea what to do with my life at that time. Because when you grow up in kind of a fishbowl, there's no way to really even know what the other options are. Um, Did you find yourself scared to branch out immediately into like quote unquote and I sound like IFB saying this, but into a secular environment or like was familiarity kind of a factor in that decision? Um yeah, it was definitely familiar where I was going. And right. I mean I was I was so ignorant that right. I mean I grew up so close minded and basically in a cult. I literally had no idea what there was to do, you know? Right. I was always raised you grow up, go to Bible college or whatever, and you become a pastor or missionary. Yeah, that's right. it. That's your options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I don't want to leave the the college conversation too quickly because I am interested. What what was the time period you were there? Um, I was there from 2010 to 2011. The, the reason I'm curious about Golden State is because it's obviously – I'm sure you've seen, it's obviously uh, been making the news last year or so. Um, mm-hmm. What with Cameron Giovanelli and that whole situation for someone from the outside looking in, 
and you look at a case like Cameron Giovanelli and someone who was working so closely with the college and you see, you know, the types of comments and support in similar cases by, you know, guys like Jack Treber and Mm -hmm. um, places like Golden State. When you were attending, did you, you talked about like minor offenses being swept under the rug for, you know, I'm assuming pastor's kids or like key people who, you know, who were in the boys club, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you, were you aware of, or did you notice any large scale scandals or anything that was really uncomfortable or was covered up or handled in a, in a strange way? Um, At the time I was there, I didn't notice anything. I do remember one like really big person in the church. They just up and left with like, no explanation whatsoever. Like a staff member or just a like a really involved member? Uh just a really involved member. I'm I believe it was a staff member. I mean okay. it had been so long ago. Right. I don't know if they were working for the church or for the college. Okay. But, but um, it was just a notable absence. Yeah. And no one would talk about it. It's basically like, you know, don't go there type of subject. Right. Which must have drove and, you uh, crazy because you have the personality of I have questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, no, I think um, we sound similar in that, in that regard. Cause that was my, that was my big problem was I always, I, I'm not a yes man. Like I need to know why are we doing this? Why are we going this direction? What are we doing this for? What's the reason? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work when you're in an environment where you're not supposed to be a free thinker. Yeah. You're supposed to be a follower. Just do what you're told. Right. So did you complete this semester or do you, or the, uh, did you complete that first year? I did. Okay. Um, yeah. So I finished out that year and after that I moved back with my parents for several months. And how uh, was that, that? That was terrible <laughs> <laughs> because you had, I like, kind of saw some of the outside world Okay. and having to move back in with them. That was a uh, really difficult, but you know, I didn't know what else to do at that point. Right. You know, so I moved back in with them for a little while. And then uh, that's when I moved to San Diego where my brother moved with me and I had a sister down there as well. Okay. And were they, had they left the movement or were they still involved? My brother was like in the same boat that I was. He had just graduated high school when we moved down there. And um, my sister and her husband, they actually graduated from Golden State. Okay. And they had gotten out of the IFB movement per se, for the most part. Okay. And they'd gotten out, but they didn't realize at that time, like how bad it was, you know? Right. It was just inconvenient for the things that they wanted to do. Exactly. So this would be seven years ago then that you officially walked out the door or six, six years ago. Yeah. So about 2011. Okay. It was either the end of 2011 or the beginning of 2012. I like, I was done with it completely. Did you notice a, I don't know how to say it, but a, a recovery process of any kind of, of, you know, unlearning some things that maybe even stuck with you that you didn't realize, or was it, you know, did you feel like you had already done that kind of inner work, I guess? You know, I moved to San Diego. I definitely felt free. Like it was like a weight lifted off my chest. And uh, yeah, I started going to, I actually started going to a, uh, like a non-denominational church for a little bit. 
Okay. But um, after I got out of that scene, I definitely felt like I actually started to uh, become a person and started to come into my own. Right. What was the most helpful thing as you kind of adjusted to life outside of that movement? Was there, were there any books or were there any people who really encouraged you? And cause it is, it's, it's no matter how much you despise it when you leave, which is usually the catalyst is you just can't take it anymore. It mm-hmm. is a, when you spend 20 years of your life actively involved in something very specific, especially a subculture as specific as the IP movement, it is a, it is a huge transition, a big shock. Was there anything specifically that helped you along that process? Not really. Honestly, I just, uh, I just started to be me for once in my life. Hmm. And I really didn't read anything or, you know, talk to anyone about it. I right. knew for a while, like my mentality, I was done with it. Right. So once I physically got out of it, it was just a, a huge relief. Right. How would you describe the Josh that was forced to exist in the IFB movement and, and the traits that you would describe that Josh as versus how would you describe Josh your true self now that's, that's expressing itself. Uh, what's the differences between those two? When I was around like 17 or 18, I was in a really bad place mentally. I was like really depressed. You know, I didn't know what to do at all. Uh, once I moved out, I kind of started thinking for myself. I just told myself, you know, no matter what you do in life, someone's not going to be happy with it. So right. you might as well do what you want to do. I mean, as long as you're not hurting anyone or anything like that, obviously. So I just started being 100% me all the time. Hmm. And I realized that if people don't like that, they can deal with it because I've seen so many people in the IFB church get, you know, shunned or kicked out because they did one thing that was bad, not even bad, but yeah. Bad by their standard of right and wrong. And I was like, well, I'm already, I can't live like that anymore. So if people get offended, then they get offended. They can stop talking to me. Right. Well, my, uh, my buddy Travis uh, told me something a, a few days ago and uh, we were talking about similar, similar things. And um, he was saying, you know, at a certain point you have to realize the only person who has to wake up and live your life is you. And yeah. so if you're getting up every morning and look in the mirror and you hate yourself, but everyone else loves you. What's the point? Cause you have to bear that knowing that you're not being your true self every single day. Yeah. And um, I thought that was interesting. Cause it, even for me up until just being completely transparent, like I've been out of it for seven, yeah, six or seven years, I think. And um, yeah, seven years. And uh, even, even up till last year, because of Facebook and social media, there was still that thing of like, man, if I post a picture of me smoking a cigar, who's going to see it? And what are they going to say? Or if I post that I drink, or if I post this, you know, and stuff that's really frivolous and doesn't, there's no reason that someone should be upset about it. Yeah. Uh, but it was still this mental checklist of like, well, what if they think that I'm not a Christian at all because of this, you know, or what if they think, you know, what if they think that such and such a thing or, or, whatever they wanted to think about me. And Mm -hmm. I just realized it was like, that's so, that's so absurd. Like to let people who I'm not involved with people who literally have no positive impact on my life, let them dictate 
how I live. Yeah. So, and it's, you know, that's such a, such a cultish mentality. You know, it's, mm. it's what am I going to do to upset the, the people surrounding me and the leadership that I, you know, the youth pastor I used to have in high school. And, you know, it's, it's so, it's just bizarre. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, definitely that's a, that's so important is, is to be able to leave and truly leave because I think a lot of people give the movement free real estate in their head after they leave. Um, I want to um, kind of re redirect now. Um, so you've been out for a while and I'm assuming still have, you know, some friends within the movement or maybe not. Um, I know people that are still in, but I really don't talk to them. They're like Facebook friends and stuff. Okay. So, so obviously we've talked over some of the issues within the IFB. Do you think there is any hope for reform of the IFB or do you think it's a broken from the beginning of its inception and just needs to be put to rest? What's, what's the, what do you think is the, uh, the hope level there? Personally, I don't think there's any reform whatsoever. I've just heard so many things about you know the bigger churches mm. and the fact that they're willing to hide the most disgusting things no you know the fact that they think being gay is being worse than you know raping a little girl right. I've, that's not a lie like they actually think that and once you get to that sort of thought i really don't think there's any reform whatsoever it's a hard question to ask because it's such a bizarre line of thinking but why is it that you think it's so important to these large organizations to cover up specifically sexual abuse, but to cover up abuse in any form? Why mm-hmm. is there this sense of betrayal that they express when someone speaks out? I think it's because they have so many eyes on them and you know they're used to doing basically whatever they want. They say something and people will listen to them and do right. it. People will give them their money. They'll give them their time they'll give them anything. And when they get caught in the act of something, I don't know what they're thinking is. I don't know if they're scared or if they think they're so powerful, they can do anything they want. They try to use God as an excuse saying that woman was, or whoever was wearing something enticing and that's what made them do it. I've heard that excuse multiple times before. What do you think is the motivator for, I'm not talking because I think there is a conversation we had about, you know, people who were just raised with really bad understanding of how ministry works, but I'm talking, you know, guys that are well-intentioned who are just really messing things up versus the guys like Jack Treber, like Jack Scop was, who, who I believe do have sinister ambitions what do you think is a motivator for a Jack Treber? Do you think it is just purely power? Is it a money thing? Like my opinion, I feel like they've been doing this for so long. It's like a criminal. You you start with stealing something small, like a wallet. You get away with it. And then you go up bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually you're robbing right. the bank or whatever. Right. And maybe, you know, when they first started, they got away with something small that they weren't supposed to. Right. And um, I think a lot of it is the fact that they over-sexualize everything. Can you expand on that a little bit? That's an interesting answer. You know, you say, you tell someone they can't do something. Right. And they want to do it more. 
you're not supposed to even hold a woman's hand or sit closer than six inches to the opposite sex, anything like that. I think that might be a part of it, honestly. Yeah, that's a, that's a topic that came up in my last interview was that idea of sexual repression. And at a certain point, you bottle so much up that it just kind of explodes. It's It's almost a Freudian thing with how much IFP preachers talk about abstaining from any kind of physical contact or physical attraction or Mm -hmm. because obviously it's not something that they're prioritizing in practical day-to-day life yeah so i'm not saying go and have sex with everyone but there's a line right you know humans need some sort of connection do you believe that again that the main leadership so when you look at guys like treber or even Paul Chapel or all these guys who are at the very top and have essentially mega churches, um, mm-hmm. even though they would preach against mega churches. Do you believe that they believe they're doing something wrong or do you, and that they're just covering it up and it is a criminal type situation, or do you feel like they truly have convinced themselves that they are doing the right thing? I think they've convinced themselves that they're doing the right thing because if you think about something enough, eventually you're going to convince yourself that it is the right thing. Right. And you know, if they mess up, they're like, Oh God will forgive me. Right. It's those decades of justification for actions. They're just justifying themselves, trying to make themselves feel better. Like, Oh God will forgive me for doing that. Right. And eventually I guess it gets bigger and bigger. Hmm. So as we kind of move to the to the end of the conversation, I, I guess what I'd be curious is if you could talk to someone who's sitting in the pew of an IFB ministry and is being, whether they're scared, whether they feel guilt, whether they feel anxiety about the idea of questioning or even more so leaving, what would you say to someone? So essentially, if you were sitting there talking to, you know, 11-year-old or 12-year-old Josh, what would you say? I would tell myself to get out hmm. at that young of an age. You can't really, right. but, um, you know, surround yourself with positive people as much right. as you can, you know, be a free thinker. I'd encourage them to read the Bible. Like, cause that's what that religion does. They try to yeah. use a Bible against you. Right. And if you, if you know your stuff and you like combat it with them, they won't know what to do. Right. Did you, and so do you still have your faith or did you, when you left the fundamentalist movement, was it something that eventually drifted away as well? It sounds like, it sounds like you still have some element of faith. Can you talk about that and and where you're at now, as far as that goes? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really for religion. I'm kind of against it. I'm definitely spiritual. I still believe that there's a God and that there's a heaven to find that line. That's up to each each and every person, you know. Right. I can see why people think there's not. I can see why people think there is. Uh, it's all about faith, really. Right. But as far as religion goes, I'm I'm not for it. Hmm. Um. I guess this would be, and I'm going to follow up with what you had just said about you know obviously when you're younger you don't have an option um, to leave unless it's mm-hmm. a case of extreme, you know, physical abuse and you have you know, you have some legal options and things, but what is it that maybe kept you going? And what, if someone's listening to this, who is a 
you know, it's possible who is a 13 year old and feels like I see the emperor has no clothes. I need to get out of here. Um, but they don't have an option. What would you, what would you tell them to hold on to or to find encouragement in for the next couple of years as they, you know, as they wait for the opportunity to leave? Just think about the future. A lot of what got me going was uh, music. I would just mm. listen to music as much as I could, like any kind, really. But um, I mean, I really like country music, so I'd listen to that. <laughs> but secretly, that of course. <laughs> yeah, secretly. Couldn't let anyone see my CDs, or else I'd get in trouble. Right. But you know, look, just find something that will keep you positive. You have right. to stay positive through those things. And, uh, you know, don't get too down or too depressed because right. there are times where I, uh, I was really in a bad mental state and, you know, I almost didn't make it just because I, I saw no end in it. Mm. And um, I didn't see the point of, you know, waking up the next day. I felt mm. stuck. But, you know, you're never stuck. You're, you always have something. It might not be tomorrow or the next day, but eventually, you know, you can become who you really want to be, you know? Right. Yeah. The world is way bigger outside of it. So that's, you just have to make it. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's awesome. No, I really, I really appreciate you, uh, you sharing kind of that journey. And, and I think that that piece of advice is something, you know, I think each, each interview, I try to get something at the end to, encourage people because it is it's you know when you're so involved in it it can feel like there's no way I'm ever getting out there's no way that you know that I can actually experience life in a satisfying way and so to hear you know I think to hear from people who have done it and who are enjoying their lives and feel fulfilled I think is really encouraging mm-hmm. um, and antithetical to what <coughs> pastors warn about when you're considering leaving which is everyone outside of this place is miserable and we oh, have yeah. it, you know? So, well, thank you so much for, for jumping on a, jumping on a call and uh, doing this interview. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope that this story is helpful to people. Is, is there a place where people can connect with you or um, if they want to reach out or, or share anything? Yeah. Um, yeah. I have my Facebook. My full name is Joshua Ross. Okay. They want to reach out to me. Well, awesome. Thank you so much again uh, for doing that. And uh, yeah, guys, if you have a similar story or have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out um, either to either to me or to, to Josh. And, uh, you know, we'd love to we'd love to help you and talk to you and, you know, see if there's a way we can uh, be an encouragement. So thanks again, Josh. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm going to go ahead and sign it off. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.